to the Geek Night in episode 58. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm here in my brand new office. Yay! We have a new recording setup. It's wonderful. I am here with the lovely, lovely, wonderful, amazing Tilly. I was wondering which one of us you were going to say then. No, I, I am here with. There's only one of you that I'm actually here with in the office. Okay, hello. Tilly, gets, Tilly, because I bought a fancy new office chair, Tilly now gets to podcast in my fancy old office chair. So how does it feel being in the big fancy chair during a podcast? I can hear how it sounds. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it feels. Creaky. It's creaky, but it's a very comfortable chair. Don't diss it. Um, I am also here this week with Kate... Hello! You don't get any of those wonderful adjectives. Not because I don't think that you deserve them, but I now worry that it will diminish the ones that I gave to Tilly and that she'll feel upset. So, (laughs) you know, you also get some nice adjectives, but I'll leave those to your imagination. How are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I am ready for the most planned podcast we've ever done. I don't (laughs) think we've ever planned, like, an evening of podcast material quite as thoroughly as this. It will be interesting to see how it turns out. (laughs) We will give it a go. Um, And we're also here with Gemma. Hello. I'm a little more distant than originally planned because I'm staying in Sweden for Christmas unexpectedly, sort of. Yay for unexpected life plans. (laughs) They are always fun. I have no idea what the reasons are, but I'm sure you will have a great Christmas anyway. Mm -hmm. It's just finances. Oh, (laughs) finances are the answer to most questions. But Will you have a white Christmas, Gemma? Will it snow? Well, I hope so, because it's like, I hear it's warm in Britain at the moment, but here in Sweden as well, it's like nine or 10 degrees. Yeah, it's like it's... 17, 18 here. Global warming. I spent oh. all day chasing around the garden after these four cats. Oh, goodness. So, and I was only wearing my pyjamas, so it was great. Like, it was <laughs> just like, I don't think anyone has any problem imagining Tilly running around in pajamas <laughs> off the cats. Like, that is the most Tilly thing to ever have Tillied. Yeah, so... We have a topic that is planned today that is Kate's, like, little idea baby. Kate, share your idea baby with us. Okay, are we ready for this? Yes. So, I had a topic for discussion, and it's based on some work that I have been doing in my studies. Um, I study history, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, and I do it from home. So this this kind of counts as like a lecture, I guess, because I get to study wherever I want. At the moment, I'm studying a module called Voices, Texts and Material Culture, which is a very vague name. But essentially, at the moment, I'm studying a book called Ideas of Authority. Um, and it discusses authority at length. And by at length, I mean like 500 pages <laughs> at length. So it's a pretty hefty book. But um, last almost last year this year 2015 at nine worlds there was a discussion on the politics of comics continuity by a woman called laura laura your laura lauren mcphee who is lovely and a friend of mine and really cool and i listened to that talk and i was like oh this is a cool talk um i get what she means and then when i read the introduction to this book ideas of authority i was like oh my god this is like I totally get what she means this is exactly what she was talking about but in not talking about comics talking about really boring stuff like music and paintings um so that's kind of the backstory for why I wanted to discuss this I've been listening to a lot of history podcasts and I thought you know we're all very academic intelligent people why not try something kind of that we might have to use citations (laughs) and referencing in um but basically I wanted to discuss 
uh, the idea of canon and what it means to us. Um, canon, I mean, I don't know, what does it mean to you, first of all? Like, if I say the word canon with one N, not two. <laughs> and a cool echo effect. You are echoing, so there's an unexpected cool echo oh. effect right at the point you said canon. That's, that's pretty cool. That is that's Was it just for that one word? Can, no, is, it, is the echo gone? It has, yeah. I sounded like Brian Blessed for a second. That was amazing. Yeah. So Gemma, you can start. What When I say canon, is there any thoughts that kind of appear in your brain? That doesn't have to be. It was just, you know, if anybody does have any thoughts. Well, I have a fairly clear definition of that, I think, because I'm actually somebody who used to make, uh, <laughs> I used to make fan archives as Ooh! websites, basically. So, for example, I had, and still have, on like old hard drives, complete um like screenshots concept art and all that sort of thing for games in the sonic the hedgehog series of this which there are a, relevant so of which this there is are a really a good idea canons. yeah um so there's the all the discussions about what forms the continuity from sonic the hedgehog through to uh, sonic 3 and knuckles and then skipping on to sonic adventure and all the games that happen in between there and why they don't quite fit into the canon that sort of thing oh my god uh, I, I might cry like this is perfect <laughs> Everything is coming together so wonderfully. And we're also talking about it. Um, oh, the echoes come back. I heard it a second for a second there. You're now Brian Blessed. Ah. Um, we're also talking about it in the aftermath of the Star Wars film because um, I saw that last night. And don't worry, no spoilers. Um, but we uh, They made a new I... Star Wars film? Uh, yeah, what? apparently. <laughs> we're going to um... do an entirely separate spoiler cast on that one, which should be up. Sometime this week. It's Christmas, so days don't matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but as somebody who is watching, uh, basically I'm near the end of, very near the end of the Clone Wars now, and we were talking about this whole discussion of where um, Clone Wars and Rebels fit into the same continuity as the film, and all this discussion about there are a couple of books written after A New Hope who's, who were considered canon, and have now been kind of overridden by A Force oh, Awakens. Yes, the, so. the Thrawn trilogy in particular, which was the, uh, hey, after episodes four, five, and six, this is the story of what happened to those three heroes that no longer is exactly what happens in the movie universe. See mm. that again, and I will I will ask about this later. I'm literally making notes because this is very relevant. The fact that it's been considered canon by some and not by others. Mm. But we can, um, so yes, thank you, Gemma, that's, you are literally the perfect person. I should have spoken to you about this, you know, when I was like writing my assignments. Um, so to give an actual answer, I personally consider canon to be whatever the the originator or the body who takes care of it. Because I think that's now happening with Star Wars. There is like mm -hmm. an official keeper of law. It's whatever they say is canon. Okay. Um, and to a certain extent, like wherever it's vague, it's where the narrative clearly leads on. So for example, Sonic Team have never said that... Uh, well, you know, I think they have, actually. But if I take this, the continuity of Sonic game narratives, it basically follows on from Sonic 3 and Knuckles through to Sonic Adventure, and that's kind of obvious. Um, yeah, basically, so long as like it seems obvious and it's not contradicted by the official sources, then it's fine. Yeah. Okay. So... It's canon until proven uncanon. <laughs> oh, I like that. So, Laura, what would if I say canon to you, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Well, the first thing that would come to my mind is the dictionary definition of canon. A collection <laughs> or list of sacred works accepted as genuine. 
joking aside of like the dictionary definition, I generally view canon as the official word, be that from again the creator or the the keeper of the law. I like that their word on what is the case so long as like there is not so long as there is not a strong diff- uh, reason to disagree now this is a really interesting bit of the discussion that like i'm sure we will get into some discussion on but like there have been times where creators of things have said oh such and such is true where their work that they've previously published clearly contradicts it i think that it is perfectly acceptable to read the work in its own context and to consider it canon mm-hmm. even if it's not if it's what the creator says anymore but it's it's different it's difficult like i tend to be like what are things that are official that are not purely fan speculation that can be shown to a reasonable amount of evidence to be true be it through the work itself or the words of the author that you can say okay that is a very very strong argument for this being true and there being no reason to have any to have much wiggle room in your perspective. This is it. See, I knew this was a good idea. Okay, Tilly, what is if I say the word canon to you, what do you think of? Tilly? Oh, hello, yes. Tilly's <laughs> needing thinking time. No, I need thinking time. Um it's a very interesting question. Um because I I guess to me, canon would be the generally accepted law within a fandom. Okay. So, sort of the things that the majority of people who consume that media would say is true, regardless of maybe the creators, because sometimes I think, well, let's take Star Wars as an example. Sometimes I think the creators don't know their work. <laughs> as like a, the. Um, yeah like their fans do. So, yeah, I would say that, uh, yeah, canon would be the generally accepted truth within a uh, a universe. Mm, That's really interesting because that's just got me thinking of something. Um, If you look at Undertale's fandom, like completely like non-spoilery, the primary character in that game does not ever have a gender that is referenced. Are any of them a hedgehog or something in Undertale or a duck? Uh, there's a duck that flies you over a river. What, what, what's the main character? Are they an animal? No, they're a human. What the hell have I got this from? I thought it was about a hedgehog. No, so the, the main <laughs> character in Undertale is a human whose gender is never acknowledged. And okay. widely considered canon is that they are non-binary. Because every character they interact with within the game never uses gendered signifiers and always uses like they and gender neutral terms well now canon this and is representation is something that i we i've had a passing discussion about in a panel at nine worlds i can't remember which one so that is another thing yeah. that well, i like, will yeah because like, my, like my point about this that kind of pulls back to tilly's point is it's never been explicitly said in the game or by the developer that this character identifies as non-binary. However, I have never seen a person disagree with that assertion based on the fact that the game has definitely implies that they are non-binary and goes out of its way to imply that and nearly unanimously the internet has decided that that is the case. And as far as I'm concerned, I would say, yes, it's canon that the main character of Undertale is non-binary. 
So you've all given like all three answers have kind of there's like the central issue well not issue but the central topic of canon and I would say Gemma's is probably closest to what I have in my textbook but then Tilly's is probably closest to what like I was a hoping we would get on to because like this is kind of how I knew it would go and like when I had conversations with my friend Kirsty who's you know you all know massive nerd um that's kind of where it went as well so if it's okay for me to give the you know you've given the dictionary definition but this is kind of the etym well I don't know if it's etymology I don't know what etymology means but I'm gonna say the etymology of the word if we're okay with that it's the root of the word yeah 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 I knew that okay so the term canon and this is from my textbook this bit was written by Linda Prescott and Fiona Richards um they refer to themselves in the first person in this introduction so I don't know who actually wrote it but one of them did um the term canon originated in ancient Greek as a word for a measuring stick and came to signify a rule or standard. So the way we use yardstick um, to mean both a stick that is a yard and also a, you know, we say, oh, that's the yardstick for that movie genre or something. Um, in the, the canon meant the same. It meant an actual stick and then went on to mean what we would know as canon. Um, it then came on to mean a term that came to mean a catalogue of religious texts that were recognised as genuine and authoritative. Today, however, it is frequently used about works in a number of fields that are recognised as worthy of special attention and respect. So when I was talking about it with Kirsty, um, we were discussing, you know, I said to her what's canon and she said, well, what's true or, or not? So Tony Stark is Iron Man is canon and then Tony Stark having lots of wild sex with Captain America is kind of fanon and things like that but it original the original meanings kind of I wouldn't say pre-internet or anything I don't think this is a new phenomena but originally it did mean worthy of special attention and respect and that is something like we could get so many hours of conversation mm. out of this but the idea that um you can collate a canon um, so like Gemma, I would ask for, if I said I need to find out interesting um, railway stations in uh, Western Europe that are either really beautiful or really interesting or have a funny story attached, I'm going to go to Gemma and say, can you give me your recommendations? And that list would be, you could call that a canon. Mm. And I um, think and that's, that's interesting sort of like going into, you, you talked about like the biblical sense of like the what things are accepted as a genuine part of a set of biblical texts. Which I did an entire assignment on. <laughs> and like there's the really interesting use of the word when you go from canon to canonized. Yes. And it's this idea of a thing that was not part of the canon that someone who is an authority has said, ah, yes, we're it. going to add that into what is considered the canon. We're going to, I am an authority. I am going to add this into what is considered the canon. Well, I canonized that text. That's, that is it, because who canonizes people? The Pope. And as it was said in a later <laughs> chapter, it said something like, an authority on God, the Pope. And I was like, that's kind of <laughs> autology. Um, yeah, but that's the thing. Why would I ask Gemma about trains? Why would I not ask someone else? Well, I consider Gemma an authority on that. Um, if I wanted to know about fantasy, especially fantasy involving like queer people and or dragons, I'm going to ask Tilly because I consider Tilly an authority on that. Can, can I just say, the second you said dragons, Tilly just poked her head right exactly. up. She looked like a meerkat at the word dragons. But, I mean, what were Gemma saying about, like, fan archives and things? Gemma had the authority. And Gemma, was that just, like, on, like, a live journal kind of? Was it an online? Kind of oh, I, I built a media wiki. 
<laughs> cool, cool. No, but were there other users involved who would read and edit and things? Not so much, although I did have that with um, a small Wikipedia project I did, given that I was researching Sega arcades. And so okay. that's technically like I kicked off basically, if you look up Sega Park on Wikipedia, that's me started that. But then, so you could argue that you being the person to sit down and be like, right, I'm going to collect all this stuff kind of gives you an authority because you were the person who did it. So, you know, if somebody else no. wants to be the authority, they have to go and do it, which my like one of the things that I, you know, I read a lot of stuff in my studies and it's like, oh, so and so thought this, so and so thought this. And very rarely do you actually go, well, I think this because you can't really quote yourself in essays. But one of Why my not. Friends- I know it's a shame it's a shame but because you don't have the authority to do so what have you done oh I did like one module great you've got to do like a PhD before you can start being quoted but um um what Tilly said about generally accepted law within a fandom and it's so it's being decided by the consumers that means the consumers have an um, an element of authority um and if you look at stuff like the Avengers the movie where they brought Phil back um, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs and whether it was a preordained decision or whether it literally was the fans going, no, he's not dead. But they literally just refused to believe it was true. And that, and the fact that it then resulted, you could argue they have authority. But my kind of theory that I think we should discuss is that to give someone authority over something, there has to be an incentive to do so. So the incentive to give Gemma authority over the fan archive is that Gemma has collated a fan archive and therefore I don't have to. Um, the authority to for Joss Whedon to say, yeah, um, the incentive, sorry, for Joss Whedon to say, yes, I give these fans authority is because he would like, great, I can have Clark Gregg back. And for, um, you know, us to say Star Wars, they, you know, uh, Lucas has the authority or J.J. Abrams now has the authority. Well, we want another movie made, so we'll have to give him the authority. With a lot of the big comic, you know, like Marvel, DC, Disney, if we don't give them the authority to make these decisions, we're not going to get new work. So I think in fans, it's kind of you have to go, well, of course you're right, and I'm going to accept your role in making this because then you'll make more stuff. Yeah, And in comic books especially, you know, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye... Um, which came out over the past couple of years, is like everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's canon. It's such a good representation. because And so we've said Matt Fraction has the authority to decide that. Matt Fraction, please make more stuff. You know? So, I mean, what do we think? Give me ideas. Let I, me write another assignment on this. So a thing that I, like, I, not talking anything about spoilers for the new Star Wars at this point, um, I think Star Wars is a really interesting thing to look at in terms of canon, particularly in terms of the decision to, as I think Gemma alluded to earlier, discount a bunch of things that were considered canon in order to create new canon. Mm. And this is a really interesting discussion because this was basically, this came about around um, as Disney acquired Star Wars and decided we are going to make new films, they did not want to have to fit their films within a framework of a lot of existing narrative that was there. And the way they went about this was they continued to publish those Uh, works that they no longer considered canon under a label of um, legends, I believe it was, where they were like, these are still stories that you can enjoy, that you are still welcome to be like, this fits within the legends canon, this fits within its own new canon, but it no longer, we've decided as the people who are creating ongoing works that these are no longer the primary canon, 
the primary canon is what we are creating now. And, you know, this... We have left behind canon one and we are now creating canon two in which these things that were canon no longer exist. And it's it's a very interesting example of seeing someone uncanonize something or mm. separate it out into its own separate canon. Um, it does happen, though. Like, look at Arthur Conan Doyle. He mm. literally killed his main character. And in a similar way to the Avengers, people just went, nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is I think in this case, like, a lot of the reason that fans on the whole were not upset that a lot of those uh, Star Wars stories, particularly things like the Thrawn trilogy, were removed from canon, was that there was a, the people who had authority to decide what was canon or not, assuming that you th- feel the creators or owners have that power, were very upfront within with their reasoning, where they were like, we are moving this to its own separate canon so that we are not constrained and are able to tell a better story going forward for, like, the new canon. Mm. And for a lot of people who were concerned about, like, ooh, these things that we can't really deny a canon, like the prequels, because we accidentally mm. wove the prequels into the original trilogy, uh, like, we can't, we're not going to deny that's canon, but it's nice to see that you're, like, you're making steps to uncanonize some things so that the the continuing canon can be stronger for it. They gave a good reason that a lot of fans were like, okay, because you have given a really strong reason, I am happy to to allow you to have the power to decide this is, you know, this is now the new canon. Mm. And I think that's it, is there was a strong reason given where people were like, oh, I accept your reasoning. I am willing to allow you to have the power to uncanonize these things and canonize this going forwards. Well, through this, I am reminded of Star Trek given that as far as the film canon is concerned, um, they have they have a parallel canon now. And mm. it's not that the events of the Star Trek films 1 to 6 didn't happen. It's just, uh, actually, I've forgotten when. No, Wrath of Khan is number 2, I think, wasn't it? Yes. So everything from Wrath of Khan 2 is in a parallel universe now as a result of J.J. Abrams stuff, depending on where you want to fit this chronology. But the new films have a different... Um, timeline, and you Literally. can assen- you can essentially have three different um, three different canons you could look at there, where you have the original canon, the Abrams canon, and then the canon that Abrams has created, where canon one is connected to canon two, and they are all part of one large canon. Mm, which again, he literally did by having Spock involved. <laughs> yes, exactly. They were just like, yeah, that Canon A, um, I came over from Canon A to Canon B. So uh, Canon B <laughs> is, and that's a really good way to get around people saying the Abrams films aren't Canon is to be like, no, that character from, from the thing in Canon, he came over here. I think um, a good example, it was, I, I'm glad I wrote things down, actually. Um, Laura and Jemmy both said about where the narrative is clearly leading on. Um, you know, that can then be considered canon if it's kind of either inevitable or it's very likely. And I think with Doctor Who, we talk about not necessarily canon one, canon two, but we talk about Russell T. Davis era, um, uh, Moffat era, and also Christopher Eccleston era, Davis, you know, they have their own take on things and you could argue that they end up into mini canons and so long as the next either actor or writer or creator or whatever sticks to what is likely to happen it is considered 
can canonical and a lot of people I know will discount various doctors either because you know it wasn't their thing or they think that it didn't fit in with the narrative that they wanted enjoyed and expected and obviously with later Stephen Moffat people um disliking maybe a couple of his series and then just kind of going no I've I'm not enjoying this anymore um so I think with maybe we've got the two examples of with Star Trek quite a distinct idea that was kind of put in force according to the laws of the Star Trek universe with what happened with um, Leonard Nimoy. Um, and then you've also got the uh, Doctor Who where the universe allows, like, in you know, inherently allows there to be different versions of the same character. Mm. So awesome. then it can interact in a different way. And almost like Moffat you know or Russell T Davis or Christopher Eccleston or whoever doesn't have the authority to make these ultimate changes Doctor Who the institution and it is an institution has a much more um powerful and like it is much more authoritative you know whereas J.J. Abrams went and did you know x y and z and in Star Wars maybe they did x y and z and um with books and spin-offs and things with Doctor Who it's almost like it doesn't matter how popular your character your version of that character is or how popular your writing is you can't change fundamental things about doctor who and those fundamental things aren't just the fact that he's a time lord but also character traits people will discount because it's not canon you know oh that's out you know the ooc it's out of character and Mm. i find that happens a lot with stuff like doctor who because of the way Mm. the universe interacts it's happened with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. Um, there's an example where the the trilogy of five was written by Douglas Adams, but there is a sixth book written by Eowyn Colfer, which is widely disregarded as at all canonical. Um, I don't know to what extent it was actually included by the Douglas Adams estate. I think it is like theoretically regarded as canon. I, the official statement of- is that it's considered canon and it was sanctioned as canon in, in its creation. Mm, but a lot of the fans discount it. Mm. Uh, like uh, my husband, for example, disregards it because in it, um, Arthur Dent swears, which is such a, uh, an, it goes against his character. So therefore it feels like a mistreatment of the canon. So therefore is disregarded. I mean, we can't guarantee this, but as a amateur historian, I feel confident enough to say, I think there is more resistance in modern times to stuff like Arthur Dent swearing than there was at the big conference when they decided what was going to be in the Bible or not. <laughs> I think it would it would have been easier in you know centuries ago to have decided we're going to add a new book to the Bible or we're going to remove than it would be to get Arthur Dent to swear. Mm, I think there's great immediate literacy around here because it's the committee who wrote who compiled the Bible would basically have been of more of a similar mind whereas i think because of access to media and like i say media literacy in like the lay population kind of has an awareness of what media is doing these days and so i think we're all generally that, a little more I informed mean, um the exi- media literacy and li- uh the understanding of authority 
um, I'm learning about the, uh, the Reformation at the moment, and basically the printing press, which was invented in the uh, 15th century, meant that loads of pamphlets were um, delivered and being spread around, and somebody would read it to you and things like that. But before the Reformation, when the Bible was in Latin, and only Latin, before it was translated to sort of various languages, and then obviously we had the King James First Bible, um, people just, you know, the priest would tell you. I, this, I know this seems like a massive segue, but it makes sense in my head. Um the priest would say this means this and therefore it's this and this is canon and this is what Jesus was like. You could argue if Tumblr had been around in the sort of 15th century, the Reformation would have happened earlier. If Tumblr was around during the Reformation, we'd probably have some very different ideas about um, about things like homosexuality in the Bible too, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> True, but I just think it would be... Can you imagine? Oh my God. Okay, somebody needs to make like a medieval Tumblr for a start. But I do think that um, I believe that exists actually. I had to try and Google it. Most kinds of tumblers already exist. <laughs> Interaction with media and media literacy has been coming around slowly, and you could argue that it was a result of the Reformation. Wow, that's that's a that's a, a roundabout. I've just gone around. Tilly, oh, you long you way give me remaining thoughts because you've not said much. I want to hear Tilly in literature. Tilly, are there any books that you don't consider canon? I'm going to be honest, you lost me. Uh, you lost me a little while ago. So. <laughs> the Reformation. Okay, completely ignore the talk of the Reformation. Are there any books that you consider, like, I don't think this is canon even though I own this book? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, the Chaos Walking mm-hmm. trilogy. Um, the author's written some, like, novelettes that go in between each book. Okay. And I don't really count the last one that comes after Monsters of Men. I don't count that one as canon. Like, to me, that feels... I I count that more as author-written fan fiction. And is there a reason for that? Because you... Because, as was being said before, that you don't feel like it's in character for where the books should have gone, or...? Yeah, I think... Monsters of Men ended really strongly. Um, it had a it had a really good ending, and then by adding this this new bit onto the end, it weakened that ending. I think so. I've just disregarded it. I've been like, yeah, no, it doesn't exist. Hmm. He might say that that happened, but I don't think he did. Well, like I've seen people write off the Star Wars prequels for the same reason, where hmm. they're like, I don't care that like. It doesn't feel in character that... Uh, how do I put this? It's very interesting seeing people with Star Wars have that sort of, like, I don't view Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader as X, Y, and Z things he's portrayed to be in the prequels. Yeah, the, I'm one of those people. It's like, as such, I'm not going to consider the prequels canon. I think That's it's even more obvious. Yeah. I think it's even more obvious version. when you consider midichlorians. Pardon? So many fans disregard that as being a source of the force. Oh, I, I feel like I have to accept that midichlorians are a thing as much as I dislike it. But yeah. the problem with that is that they revised the original movies to a point where, like, you can't. It's very hard to deny the original, the prequel trilogy is canon. Because, um, first of all, you've got, like, the moments where there's, like, the ghost of Anakin Skywalker from the prequels just jammed into a scene. It also kind of just, like, by virtue of having consumed them it damages the canon of those original films 
Because, like, there is a scene in episode four in which um, one of the characters says, like, oh, yeah, um, your father did this, your father did that, your father uh, wanted you to have this lightsaber. And it's like, no, none of none of those things were... Tr- no, that's that's not what part of the canon says. And, like, you end up having to revisionist canonize, like, the fact that okay, well, where we previously believed this character was telling the truth about these things, they're now considered lying. Why would they be lying? You have to end up creating your own logic in your head to explain how it stays canon, and it gets very weird. It's summed up by Robot Chicken Star Wars in a a musical number in which Obi-Wan Kenobi says that things are true from a certain point of view. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of fun to find, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a good question for the last 15 minutes that kind of will go around us all. If we're happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can pick a genre, but I, if you cannot pick a think of a genre, I have one that I can assign to you. What would you put in the canon of X? So like, what would you put in the canon of English literature? What would you put in the canon of good video games? What would you put in the canon of fantasy literature? Or- I go first. Yes, Tilly, this was kind of your question, honey, to be honest. I was like, I want to know what kind of... Well, A, you can pick your own genre, but I'm guessing it's going to be books. But yeah, what would you put in that canon? You can pick five and why. Well, the main thing that I would put into any canon, I think mostly movies, actually. Okay. Um, Because I don't think books really have this failing. But to me... Again, it beca- I think it's just because Star Wars has just come out and we've been talking about the prequels. But a lot of movies lack the sort of emotion that the books had. Like, I don't like the Harry Potter movies because they leave out a lot of detail that the books have in them. So is there anything specific you'd add to any movie to be like, I wish this was added to the canon to, like, I would feel better if this was canon. More feelings. <laughs> you would just canonise feelings. Yeah, if I... If I, I what, is, what are the Star Wars... What is the canon of Star Wars? Would you or would you not include the books then? Um, I didn't really enjoy the books too much, um, okay. Star Wars, so I probably wouldn't include the books. Um, the story itself, of what it was before... Um, Disney took over I'd um I'd keep that but because the books were written by so many different authors and there were so many different influences and everything I just see this is really good this is like I wish these conversations would be in my textbook (laughs) (laughs) yeah I found it um I found it difficult to accept everything that was canon and then there were things that would happen that were just like blatantly out of character and I think that's my problem with the prequels as well, in that I get frustrated when I watch them because I have my own version of the prequels in my head, and they're way better. Yeah. So whenever I watch the prequels, I'm like, no, that didn't happen. This happened. <laughs> and like, Anakin's all, oh, but from my point of view, the Jedi were evil. And I'm like, no. No, you've got to say that sentence right. But from my perspective, the Jedi were evil. You've got to give it the proper melodrama. Yeah, so... That is that. that yeah, is- I just wish that more um, uh, more characters were humanised, I think. Because, again, in Star Wars, like, um, Luke's family are killed, like, right at the beginning. 
his aunt and his uncle and like his friends and everyone and he sees their like charred corpses and he just looks away and then he's like okay I'm gonna go fight the Empire and it's like like Anakin is annoying but he had a more human reaction to that kind of thing yeah whereas Luke was just like oh dear <laughs> oh no that to me that fi- I find that really hard to um empathize with and that's the main thing that I want to do when I read or watch anything mm-hmm. I want to empathize and I want to you know I want to be somewhere where I am not currently mm. I want to live someone else's life for a bit and I want to feel what they're feeling and if a story doesn't fully immerse me that way then I just <laughs> you make up your own head canon and that makes things better yeah and then I write my own version <laughs> Right, so are we is that, is that it for you? Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, I would ask you, what would if you were gonna introduce? So, like, this is more to do with canon as like a catalog, but as like an authority on games, video games, whether you like it or not. Unfortunately, um, what would you if somebody said what is what are you know if you it's kind of like what would you put in a time capsule to send to mars to represent video games so like i am making like the five game canon of video games so it doesn't have to explain i mean it can it can explain a progression so you can go from like pong to like um you know something super intense and like Ah. oculus rift or whatever so yeah here is here is my video game canon off the top of my head of like the five like only five video games can be canon. Um the original Super Mario Brothers. Hmm. Um I'm gonna make Oh, this is really tough. I'm gonna make Final Fantasy Ten canon. Okay. I'm gonna make The Last of Us canon. I'm gonna make. Ooh. Oh, this is a really tough set of questions. This is not by any means my favorite or what I think are the best, but this, this is the canon I'm creating. Um, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put an Oculus Rift in there with, let's say. Uh, what what would be the defining game? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to put an Oculus Rift in there with uh, Surgeon Simulator or something similar. Okay. And I'm going to put in there... I need to go back a little bit. Something handheld. Let's put in Pokemon Yellow. That is video games as canon. <laughs> Okay, well, that's fine. That is fine. Also, while we're on the topic of just, like, side note, things that I want to make canon, uh, bisexual Dean uh, bisexual Dean Winchester. See, that's a whole other thing about that... um, canon and representation and how Fanon, um, when you were saying about Undertale being non-binary, it tends yes. to be um, that we will, because of default, essentially, mm-hmm. and because of um, the hegemonic normativity of, like, you know, cisgender um heterosexuals and things like that um it does tend to be that we will twist it away from the you know we queer things it's like queer queering narratives or something um so yeah i'm gonna queer that particular narrative so that's canon now i have decided yeah i am the authority bisexual dean winchester exists cool fair enough yep 
Okay, Gemma, you get to pick a genre because I think trains are too hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, which five trains are canon? Yeah. <laughs> Apart from else, I don't the tank really... engine to start with. <laughs> I don't really know much about trains either. I create this impression, but it's really just stations. Um, okay, well, you can either pick stations or you can pick another genre. Gosh. Which, which five one. stations Actually, are canon? <laughs> what I could do is canonize maps. Because I have okay. actually researched this recently. Oh. Uh, except I'd have to look them up. Um, hmm. Except even then, I'm already coming up with conflicting opinions because whatever Makata drew, first of all, was probably worth putting in there because that we've now come to understand the Makata projection as the understanding of how we view the world these days. Um, borrowing a lot from the British Library, there is a Chinese um, there was a globe that was created in China by um, Jesuit scholars who had travelled from Venice, and it's basically the one of the oldest surviving globes in uh, Chinese uh, history. Uh, I think it's from the 16th century, and it combines Western and Eastern scientific knowledge in one place. So they've got. Um, the Chinese interpretation of uh, astronomy um, and some of the local findings about, like China had uh, basically discovered magnetic fields, a good, uh, well, when this globe was made, this globe features magnetic field science 20 years before Isaac Newton came up with it, uh, for example. So it's this single artifact which would have been displayed in palaces and stuff and like highlights what maps can do. That's cool. uh, uh, where have I put this stuff? Interesting that you said about Isaac Newton. So often I'm finding in my history studies is when we say it was discovered, we mean by white people. <laughs> yeah. So, so much stuff was discovered, with, like the pyramids, various ruins in Italy, America. Was, like, it was found by other people first. But yeah, carry on. <laughs> um... I'm having to navigate my own <laughs> file structure here. You, if you don't, can't think of five, you can't think of five, which kind of shows that you are more concise with your canoning, canonize, canonizing, canonizing. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I worry about misrepresenting maps. Basically, there are because I have my favorites, but they're not necessarily the most. Um, resonant or whatever I think see that's found. another thing we um were doing about children's literature that was the canon we decided and it was really hard to um distinguish between what you just loved like for preteen fiction twilight is in the canon unfortunately whether you like it or not because it has made such an impact you can't if you somebody said what is teen fiction you would kind of go, well, Hunger Games. Can, can we, do we have to put that in the canon? You do. No, it has to go in the canon I'm... so it can be shot far, far Well, that's away. what I was thinking. Can we put it <laughs> in the other kind thing. of canon? Can we put it in with the double N? <laughs> but that's the thing. You, you, uh, it's an authority thing. If you were basing mm. on the authority of what you like, then you wouldn't put it in. But then you might not put, somebody else might not put Harry Potter in. But if mm. you're basing it on, what is represent i mean for me canon is what is representative of that genre or that piece or something so like classical music canon um it's got to be it has to have like made an impact maybe it was the first time somebody did something or it was really really popular at the time and spawned um often like and this is why star wars is kind of a 
uh, in the fantasy canon of um you know big big like space movies and fantasy movies and stuff um mm. in that it made an impact and inspired spin-offs and obviously the prequels and you know the cantina music is like its own thing now um and you know it has this huge it makes waves huge huge ripples and like Gemma saying about the map and the globe you know it might somebody might be like oh no I really find that map ugly or that map was not a big part of my you know map collection but you can't necessarily deny that Mm. it's made a massive impact and it's on so those like grounds, Twilight, I, I could actually have picked an easier target um, because you mentioned Twilight and I would, I would actually have to include that, I think, in a in canon, that, of, in canon vampires. of vampires. Oh, no, on vampires. Um, yes! Oh my goodness. Because in that chronology, mm. you would have to include Dracula, of course. Yeah. Um, but I, also I, interview, interview I, with I, a vampire. Of course. I'm, I'm just realising I, I actually totally agree with you. Sparkly vampires are canon. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah. Buffy. But then for but, me, like vampires, if I met a vampire, I would expect it to act like a Buffy vampire. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird in that they're, they're, they all feel like different canons of what a vampire is. But if you were to take them, if this is the canon of the modern understanding of a vampire, you would have to include all these. You'd have to include Louis from Interview with a Vampire as well, because that is a, I, I think it's because these are like rather defined characteristics of what makes a vampire and they usually build upon their predecessors but yeah that's the thing building upon your predecessors is another important aspect to it um but also vampires recommendations a quick segue before we finish um i listened to a podcast about the new england vampire um panic it was called um on the history stuff you missed in history podcast which i think is from how stuff works i don't know much about them but i just like this podcast but um they thought, I think it was like 16th, 17th century, um, no, later than that, New England, um, 17th and 18th century, there was evidence of um, people, like family members dying, and then other family members started dying, and it was tuberculosis, and they knew it was tuberculosis, but they didn't know how it was spread, and they were like, oh, must be the dead family members rising from the grave and giving everyone else tuberculosis, Um, which of course it wasn't, but they dug out you know they exhumed the bodies of dead family members and put them in weird positions turned them over so they wouldn't be able to burrow out but it was they weren't you know biting on the neck so we would consider that a canonical canonical aspect of a vampire the whole neck biting thing and also being a corporeal corporeal corporal a bodily form whereas it wasn't considered um the same then it didn't matter if the ground had been disturbed because their spirit would have come out it was more of a ghostly um kind of apparition so me and Gemma do need to do a vampire podcast at some point (laughs) for definite because I have so much to say about vampires (laughs) all right and with that is that a good place for us to wrap up for this evening I think so I think thank you for running with my weird idea for indulging your your topic of the night yeah it would be cool to do I think maybe every couple of months an academic themed well maybe one of us picks out an article or I I mean what's next in my books voices voices is next and we're a podcast so voices is oh that that is a relevant thing we can discuss we can discuss voice there so, are. Yeah, so if if people want to find out what's going on in your textbook and might be a future episode, where can they find you on the internet, Kate? 
Um, you can find me at what Katie underscore did. Well, I am talking slightly more about academia as it takes over my life um, and talking more about history with the hashtag hashtag history Twitter. And I'm hoping with a couple of people um, possibly in the new year to do some kind of just discussions where we pick an article or, um, you know, a chapter in a book or just some topic to just have a quick chat about. Um, we're all kind of amateur. Hist- well, I'm an amateur historian. They might have like PhDs. I hope not. Um, but yeah, it's a very chill. You don't have to be able to name every monarch of the of England since 1066 in song like I can. But you know, come and join us. Chat to me about history and I makeup. I keep missing these. It's really annoying. I always want to. I always read them afterwards, and I'm like, oh, I have opinions. Oh, but it was well, five always hours bring ago. the opinions. Bring the opinions and and. If but you- five hours ago, they're old opinions but they'll be new in the morning that's the thing about history it's not going anywhere that's true i had there was it's it's going somewhere just very very slowly well there was an there was an article in a i bought a collector's edition magazine of ancient history and it was like there has never been a greater urgency to learning history and i was like really (laughs) (laughs) like i think wait a couple of weeks insofar as it informs current decisions yeah i agree yeah but in terms of like oh study ancient history like it's not going to have changed yeah yeah and uh, while we're doing wrap-ups, Gemma, where where are you on your internet things? Uh, well, I'm still hanging out here in Sweden, I guess. So I'm on, uh, it, as if it changes if I get to back to Britain. That's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> uh, Twitter.com slash Goth. And then Tilly, you, where, when? I am on Twitter at Gathering Tilly. That's it. That's the one. Oh, you're also on Patreon at Gathering Tilly. Oh, yeah, I'm also on... No, I'm not on Valence Killer on Patreon. Okay, well, that's why it's important to discuss it. Valence Killer on Patreon. Get it right, uh, Laura. I don't even know her her things. Oh, I know. I'm so terrible. (laughs) I have a a blog about writing that I can't remember. Valencekiller.wordpress.com, I believe. No, that one. It was that one, but I made a new one. (laughs) I didn't update it enough. I still don't update it enough, but... You should leave a trail of clues for people to follow. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it's my pinned tweet on Twitter. So if you go to Twitter and you're interested in my thoughts on writing or reading, you'll find it. Woo! And then I'm at Laura K. Buzz on pretty much everything. Twitter, YouTube, Patreon. Anywhere you want to find me, Laura K. Buzz is probably the place. Thank you very much for listening. And we will have another episode for you again very soon. Bye!